Blog Talk Radio. Blog Radio. Hey, hey. What's going on? Mighty in the house, Joe in the house. It's rocking. About to be joined by. Are we ramming? Yeah, about to be ramming it with Dan Kadar of Mocking the Draft, SB Nation's home for all things NFL Draft, which I don't know if you guys have heard. There's an NFL Draft coming soon. Is it? Yeah, it's one hey, of those NFL drafts. Yeah, there's going to be one this year. They decided to do it. Yeah. So he's going to help uh, break some things down with us. Um. What do you want to talk about, man? Do we need to do we need to knock anything out before we bring on Mr. Kadar? Yeah, no, let's just go ahead and get him over here. Let's, let's, let's have some fun with this. Have some fun. You are the you and Sosa have been knocking some scouting reports. I will say that for anybody that hasn't seen, go to the site tertialtimes.com. Check out what my son and Sosa have been doing. Great work. Sosa wants to be like me. I can't really. I know who I want to be like. I want to be like Dan Kadar, who's joining us now. I'm not going to draft Dan Kadar. Dan, are you there? Yes, I am here and ready to ram it. Oh, oh man. Yeah, we, we got music to my ears. You know, you know what that means. Dan Kadar is on Tur Show Radio. Myson, it's official. It's a tradition. We made it. Unlike any other. <laughs> Dan Kadar and the NFL Draft. <laughs> Hello, friends. Yes, there's frost on the feet of young children in Buffalo. And somewhere a homeless vagrant in West Los Angeles is waking up in just a few hours with the sweet aroma of a roasted NFL draft from Dallas, Texas. We went from from football to, like, quiet storm. (laughs) Yes, Donald Trump may be starting World War III. Whenever the NFL draft and Dan Cater, you know there's – oh, it's already over. That was the whole thing. I didn't even get the whole thing. I thought I got the whole thing. Sorry. My bad. Very unprofessional. It's okay. Dan will just start over to finish. <laughs> just replay. What's up, Dan? Not much. I'm pretty blown away by this whole spectacle right now. It's, it's production value. got to go all out for you. <laughs> yeah. Mycin, Thank you. Mycin, Maybe podcasting from his bathroom. I think he had a power outage half an hour before he started the show. So <laughs> that lets you know. Yeah, I know. But the show must go on. This is dedicated. Last week I was sick, pushed through. This week, no power, pushed through. This is how we roll. <laughs> the, the the check's on its way. Dan, uh, where to start with in the draft? Do, do we have to start with the quarterbacks? I mean, obviously, that even though the Rams aren't involved, that seems like that's the real headline for this year's draft. Definitely. Yeah, I mean that, that that's going to be where where the dominoes start. It, I think for the first time ever, we could have four quarterbacks take with the first four picks, if not probably for the first five. So right. you'll see how that plays out. I think the most interesting story of day one, hopefully not day two, is Lamar Jackson, where he goes and why. 
Um, then you got Mason Rudolph thrown in there too, and then you have a bunch of not very good players at the position, but they'll they'll get picked. So, uh, yeah, you're right. That that's to me that's step one in this whole thing, and it's gonna really go fast and hard on on night one. Yeah, especially once they, you get to that second pick from the Browns at four. What were you gonna say, Mason? Now, I was going to say, what, what do you think? What do you think? The, you kind of touched on it already, but what do you think the Browns should do at number one? Because I, for one, have been of the mindset that I think it would be, considering they have two picks in the top four, I think it would be smart to go ahead and snatch up Saquon <laughs> and then just take one of the quarterbacks at number, pick number four. But what do you think would be, like, the best option for them? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of that sentiment out there about taking Saquon at one. It's just a value thing sometimes where – What's more important, getting the, the first quarterback off the board or getting the first running back or what, what's the value of running back, stuff like that. But that, that to me is why you go for a quarterback with the first pick if you're the Browns and see what the Giants do it too. You know, if they take Barkley, I think that puts you in an interesting spot. If they don't, I think that, that opens it up at four for him or, or Bradley Chubb. Yeah. One of the things I that I think is interesting the is that, card. yeah, the, one of the things that's interesting to me was uh, Todd McShay just did his Grade A uh, mock draft yesterday before Kuiper dropped his today. McShay didn't even have the Giants taking a quarterback with their first four mm. picks, and it was one of those things where when I looked at, I forget who tweeted it out. I think it might have been Justice Mosqueda. Somebody dropped. Uh, oh, it was Derek Classen, who used to write for us, um, tweeted out the next two classes of quarterbacks coming out. And I, I don't know if you can draft like that, if you can draft with, you know, next year's draft in the back of your mind. But, man, if you, if you need a quarterback, when you look at what's coming the next two years, it might, it might convince you that as, a big the crop, as big as the crop is this year, you better go ahead and strike now because you might have to wait a couple of years to get something anywhere close to this. Yeah, for sure. And I, one of the lines I'm sitting on that I'm waiting to put into something I write is that for the first time ever – people who cover the draft are going to tell you that this year's quarterbacks are better than next year's instead of the other way around. You know, every, right. it seems like every year for the past five or six years, we've always said next year's group of quarterbacks is the year. And then, you know, Deshaun Kaiser kind of exposes himself at Notre Dame a little bit. And that, that kind of turns out to be not great. Or, you know, Rosen and Darnold maybe didn't have the years that, you would have thought they would. They're still good, but they didn't have quite the superstar season. So, you know, I think for the first time in a long time, though, we're going to be saying this next group of quarterbacks isn't as good as this year's. Speaking of the quarterbacks and just how good they are, like I've I've been saying this pretty much since you know the season, but I'm really high on Josh Rosen. I think Josh Rosen is head and shoulders the best quarterback in this draft. Like I'm not. I'm not crazy on potential because, as, as I always say, potential is where co- good coaches fired. <laughs> so, yeah, you can say, mm-hmm. oh, this guy has a high ceiling, but I look at, okay, what is guaranteed and can you get better from there? And I say Josh Rosen is the best, followed by Baker Mayfield. But who do you feel is the best quarterback in, in this draft? Well, I've been a Rosen guy the whole time, and it, prepare yourselves for a cheesy line. He's head and shoulders above everybody else as long as you can buy into his head and shoulders in that he's had the concussion stuff and he doesn't have, I don't think as good of an arm as, as Sam Darnold or certainly Josh Rosen um, or excuse me, Josh Allen. Um, So 
I, I, I do think he's the best, though. I, I'm kind of close with Darnold and Baker Mayfield next up. I, I know there are some problems with Darnold, turnovers and stuff like that, but the, the moxie is, is crazy. Um, and then, you know, I got Lamar Jackson after those three, and then I've got Josh Allen, a pretty big step back after them. But I, I like Rosen. I've liked Rosen the whole time, and I, I'm not going to change that course at this point. And not only that head, I mean, he's head and shoulders. Don't forget those shoulders. Those are some impressive right. shoulders. <laughs> Good yeah. shoulders. Um, the one pick that I that I, I know is going to be where I – well, I guess they're really related to one another. The two picks that I think is where I'm going to start to get really interested in this draft is Buffalo at 12 and Arizona at 15. Because once you get beyond those early picks, those are two teams that sorely need a quarterback. I saw a rumor. I don't know if you guys saw where it was coming from. The Bills were entertaining yeah. training up to number two. Yeah, it's yeah. just because the Bills need a quarterback so badly. And obviously Arizona going to get Sam Bradford. They're just not in a place to compete in this NFC West this year, but they're going to have to get somebody soon. I do wonder if Buffalo stays tight. This was one of those hinges I wrote about the other day on Tertio Times. If Arizona tries to leapfrog Buffalo and maybe even Miami to try to get their guy, what's your sense of the, that, that middle range and, uh, you know, if Lamar Jackson falls there, obviously he's one guy that meets it. Do you think maybe Mason Rudolph has a you know enough of a resume to go there, or any of the other quarterbacks there, Dan? Well, I think you're right. I think that range is going to be fascinating, and the Cardinals are going to have a hard time moving up because they they just don't have a lot of draft capital this right. year. So the question for them is, do they give up every single thing that they have this year for one quarterback who might be? If they can if they can get to two, the second best, or if they can only get to four, say, are they getting the the, the fourth best quarterback in the draft? That, that's risky. And as far as you know, Buffalo is concerned. I, I know it's real popular to connect Buffalo to New York. You know, twelve to two, making that jump. And there are some reasons why that that works. I mean, Brandon Bean and Dave Gettleman worked together in Carolina. But that that's a big leap, 12-2. Yeah. You're, you're talking about giving up your two first-round picks, obviously, this year, probably your first next year, probably at least one of your twos. I think Buffalo has two twos this year, or three twos, something like that. Basically, what I'm saying is they have to give up a load. And I just don't see them as being a team where it makes sense to give up a huge load like that. They're not, like, they're not a one-player-away type of team. So... I, I think that's going to be hard to do. Maybe it'll happen, but you know we'll see. And then, and then you get into the whole thing with with Lamar. Is how does the NFL really think about him? I know how I think about him. I know how it's all this smoke. <laughs> yeah, it's all this smoke true, and that that to me is fascinating. And as far as Mason Rudolph goes, he's fine. I mean, I, I wonder how hard it is to teach that system out of him that they sure. work at Oklahoma State. That, that was a big problem with Brandon Whedon um, and, just, and the fact that he was like 45 years old. But right, uh, <laughs> yeah, how quickly can he be broken into the NFL? So I think that hurts his value some. But it, it's real interesting when you get into the Buffalo, Miami, even Arizona, and then further back, you know, like Chargers where Phillip Rivers is super old. Steelers, Patriots. So there's all of these first-round teams where it, it, it could be real interesting. 
the Seahawks, too, because the Seahawks only have one pick in the first 119, and that's that first-round selection. When you look at the first round, maybe even into the second, is there a range that you look at that you think is uh, compelling as we wait for the Rams at 87? Uh, as far as the Rams, like, moving up or? No, or no, just, just gonna, Or just the word's going to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually think that the bottom of the first round, going into about the middle of the second round, probably about 20-pick range uh, from about where the Rams were picking to right. about, uh, pick, about maybe pick 15 or so in the second round. The reason I say that is because I look at the, I look at the draft right now and I say once you get outside of the, the top 10 picks, it's going to get kind of interesting. You know, it's going to be uh, really murky because you, you can't really identify who's going where. You know quarterbacks are flying off the board, but that's kind of what makes that part of the draft that I'm referring to so interesting because the quarterbacks are going to be overdrafted. You know, like you, if, if you're 100% honest with yourself, Saquon Barkley is the best player in this draft. I think that's virtually agreed universally. Uh, but is he going to go number one? It remains to be seen. However, you see quarterbacks getting pushed up the board left and right. For example, Josh Allen, I don't think Josh – you hear people talking about him going number one overall to the Browns. That's been the, the big report today that everyone keeps saying that they're hearing throughout the NFL is Josh Allen goes number one. Well, I think Josh Allen is the least pro-ready of all of them. Um, you know, I, I don't really understand the uh, Lamar Jackson should be a receiver thing when they say that his – uh, accuracy in his completion percentage when he actually was more accurate and more, more complete than Josh Allen. You know, so when you, when you look at the way the quarterbacks is going to be overdrafted and the way they're going to affect that top half of the draft, the top half of the first round, I think once you get outside of that, where guys kind of start falling into where they're supposed to, it's not going to be so much of guys being pushed down. It's going to start to right his ship. Guys like Anthony Miller, Rashawn Evans, those guys. It's going to be interesting to see where they go. There's some pretty big names who I think can come in and uh, impact teams immediately. Uh, the Leighton Vander Ash, you know, all those guys I think are going to go late first round, early second round. And I think that's where you're going to see teams really, really get some great value and improve because the top, uh, the top ten picks are going to be so pushed back because of all the quarterbacks. One thing I'm looking at, Dan, is kind of, and obviously these things are hard to predict outside of the classes, and maybe that's where your expertise can help here, is where we go on a position run. We always see those kind of mini position <laughs> runs where, to, you know, positions wait and wait and wait, and then all of a sudden you get four or five guys in the span of about ten picks. Is there, is there a position run that you see? Is there a class that shapes up well? I know some people talk about defensive tackle once you get into the late first round or obviously cornerback. Is there anything, one of those classes that you think shapes up well to be a position run in the top 50, top 75, somewhere in there? Well, you hit both of them. And oh. every every oh. time I do a mock draft, it's, you know, all of a sudden Maurice Hurst, Taven Bryan, yeah. um, Deron Payne, all those guys, they all they all seem to come off in an eight pick span. And then there there's the same thing to to some degree with the tackles. And cornerback is another big one like that too. And then into the second round more, you know, I, I think that's where you're gonna see a run at the top of the second at running back, you know, the Georgia guys, stuff like that. And then, you know, further on, some of these wide receivers. You know, this wide receiver class, I think, is it's fascinating. I, I don't think we're going to have something like last year where there are three top ten guys, obviously. Yep. So I, maybe it's not as top-heavy as last year, but the depth this year is pretty crazy. 
Um, so I, I think in the second round, you know, there, there's all of these wide receivers. Maybe Cortland Sutton falls into that range. Equimini St. Brown, you know, Christian Kirk and James Washington and Marcel Aitman. I, I can name about eight or ten wide receivers that I can say, hey, man, there's second-round value on these guys. So I, I think those are all the, the the positions you might see runs on and kind of in that order, too. You know, you got something. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the receivers and just to run on them. And uh, there's two names that really, to me, stand out. You mentioned one, and I mentioned one earlier. And those are Anthony Miller and Court uh, Sutton. I think these two guys mm-hmm. are really underrated, especially Anthony Miller. I I'm really smitten with this kid. I think that he's one of the better talents at the position in the entire draft. Uh, when you really watch his tape, he just he just kind of jumps off the screen to me. Like he's very, he's impressive in so many different aspects of the game. Uh, he has solid hands and he runs good routes and he's a lot more explosive than what I think he gets credit for. Once he gets the ball in his hand, he can take it to the house in the blink of an eye. But then you look at Corlin Sutton, this monstrous receiver, <laughs> you know, that he's not a, he doesn't have much wiggle, but as far as straight line, being able to get vertical, he, he has that ability, you know, so he can really kill your intermediate. He can get deep if you need him to. I really like those two receivers. What, like, what type of team do you think fits, they would fit best with? Like, who can they help out? Like, because, you know, system always plays a role. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. what type of team do you think those two type of guys could, uh, would fall into that would really help them succeed early on? Yeah, that, that's a tough question to answer, just picking out a, a team for each guy. I will say, you know, I, before we recorded this, I did another podcast, the Chris Harris podcast that he worked for ESPN at some point. But our topic was wide receivers, so this is all very top of mind for me. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on, on a Rams-based podcast, you, you know, even though we're, we did some golf music and talking about ramming it and whatnot. But to me, Anthony Miller is, is the Cooper Cup of, of this year's draft. Just the, I, I, I love him. I think he's just such a sure thing of a player as far as any any player Agreed. in any position Agreed. in this draft. I, I, I think he's a plug-and-play guy that, you know, I know he's never going to be a one, probably. He's never going to be bigger than five foot eleven or whatever he is. He's never going to run sure. the fastest, but, boy, he's a killer. Um, I, I like him a lot. You know, and, and Same here. as far as where he, where he goes, um, you, you got to wonder about a team like the Bears, maybe. Um, I think they make sense. Hey, look who's at 43, the Patriots. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just lost Danny Amendola. So <laughs> you, you, you wonder if that if that fits there. Um, the Packers, I think they might be in the market for a wide receiver. You know, Cardinals, you know, your, your favorites, I'm sure. You know, you, Larry Fitzgerald's probably in his last year. John Brown's gone. So um, I, I think right in that range, I think Sutton kind of fits those those teams too. And then you got the Cowboys at 50. If they if they get rid of Des Bryant, can you get Cortland Sutton in there? And I wonder really what's the difference between these two guys. Yeah, the Sutton one's interesting for the Cowboys, if only because he was you know SMU Dallas guy. The thing I let yeah, the that thing too. that's so fun about. Anthony Miller is anytime you get these undersized guys that just produce at wide receiver, you, you -hmm. know, he's not winning because of size. He's not Kelvin Benjamin balls in the end zone where he's just taller and can jump higher than everybody. 
it's got to come from some kind of fight and some kind of technical superiority. Uh, what, what worries me, and this is one of those things where I went into the season so excited for this group, and they were maybe the most underwhelming group in the country, mm-hmm. the Florida State defense. And Myson and I have talked about it. There's a couple guys we love on that side yeah. of the ball. Obviously, Derwin James is going to be an early pick. He's up there, maybe top 10. But you look at guys like Josh Sweat, Derek Nottie, Tarvis McFadden, who uh, Myson loves. They had so much That's talent like that. on that defense. It's, uh, it's, and I get it. It was one of those years you lose DeAndre Francois. Uh, you know, Jimbo had a, either a foot or half of a form sentence out the door. It's just one of those things where you go back and look at it and say, man, they had so much talent. I don't know how they didn't play better, how they didn't win more games. What do you think about some of those defensive products out of FSU, Dan? Yeah, I I will admit I am low-key a Florida State guy because I I love Charlie Ward, which shows how old I am. But um, (laughs) Sweat sweat is real interesting. Yeah. I I spent a fair amount of time with him at the Combine just kind of – kind of grilling him because a lot of times we've seen these players where they have injury stuff and it kind of gets refound out about at the combine, you know, whether it's a degenerative issue or whatever else. And, you know, he, he was pretty steadfast in saying, nope, I'm, I'm good. And if that guy's good, I'm not sure he was all last season, but if he is now, it's a big if because you're kind of taking a player's word for him as he's interviewing for a job. I think he's pretty legit. Um, I don't think he's a first-round player. Right. But I think you can do a lot with him. You know, and he's interesting. Nadi, I think, is okay. I think he's just a you know, rotation guy on the line. McFan, I strangely don't have a huge opinion about, plus or minus. He's just, to me, he's just kind of, kind of a guy. Um, not bad, not great. But, yeah, you, you know, you watch that group and you – Say, man, it should have been more. The, the sum should have been as well as the parts should have been. But it wasn't. And I'll, I'll tell you what, Derwin James, I, I like him. But, boy, I don't know oh, yeah. he had a lot of great tape last year, to be honest with you. And I I say that with with the mentality of I think he was misused quite a bit. Um, so he he's interesting to me. Top Top five talent-wise, I think. But where he gets drafted, I think it's going to be interesting. And what he's asked to do, because, you know, I, I sat in on Sweat for a long time at the Combine. I sat in on Naughty for a long time. And I, I asked both of them, like, where do you play Derwin James? And one of them said weak side linebacker. The other one said middle linebacker. Derwin said, I'm a safety. So it, it's going to be interesting with him. I'll throw it to you, my son. I, w- I will note one thing. The most points Florida State gave up this last season was 35 points. If you remember to who, I'd be shocked because it's nobody you'd ever guess. They gave up 35 points to Boston College. You- Boston <laughs> College. Not Louisville, not Miami, not Alabama. B.C. put up 35 on that defense. I'm flabbergasted. Hey, BC had a strong running game. Don't but. start. Don't, 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 don't talk about that. <laughs> hey, that's true. Look, they got, they got an NFL running back there. You watch. They, they do. do. They do. They do. <laughs> uh, no, so in regards to defense, we stick to that side of the ball. What are, like, what are your thoughts on this year's in a linebacker class? Like, I, there's some guys, and I just um, – Joe mentioned earlier, I just posted some scouting reports on guys, but 
there's some guys in this linebacker class that I really, really, really like, um, both inside and outside. Uh, you look at guys like uh, My- uh, Micah Kaiser or or Jannard Avery. I definitely have to mention Shaquem Griffin because I think I've talked about him so much that people are tired of me talking. I liked him <laughs> before the story broke. Let me be that perfectly clear on this. I've been talking about him for a while, but yeah, you know, I just think that there's a lot of linebackers in this draft. I think it's a uh, it's not getting the credit that it could get. I think the cornerback and the quarterback, as far as depth goes, the cornerback and the quarterback has gotten a lot of love uh, just from the from their depth from a depth perspective. But what are your thoughts on the linebacker class? I, look, I, th- I think you hit it right on, and you can even have more players on onto that pile. And we're not even talking about Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds or Rashawn right, Evans, no. but. Right, you know Darius Leonard and Fred Warner. If you need a, yeah. a coverage speed linebacker, you know there's your guy. If you need, if you need middle thumpers, you got Josie Jewell and Nick DeLuca in there. Um, so there, there's a lot of intrigue with Jerome Baker of Ohio State, where people expect him to be the next Ryan Shazier, and it didn't necessarily happen. But there's talent there for sure. So it, it's a good class this year, and it's a, it's a deep one. I think after you get past Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds, there might not be a, a pro ball guy. Maybe Van Der Esch gets in there. We'll see with Malik Jack, Malik Jefferson, excuse me, at Texas. But the, the depth, I, I think, is really, really good this year. And it, it, it's interesting what will happen, you know, later in the draft when you get to guys like even in the sixth round where, where the Rams have a billion yeah. picks. You know, <laughs> what do you do with Azim Victor, for instance, or – or T.J. Edwards, or any of the Wisconsin linebackers, quite frankly. or um, It's a good group. Um, Like Christian Sam, for instance, of Arizona State, he looks like a superhero. Just he has that build. Um, What do you do do with him? Can he be a player? Probably. So it's definitely a good group. Yeah, that's the good thing about – Oh, go ahead, my – no, I was going to say, one name that I threw out as far as, like, those later uh, rounds, that a guy that I like a lot, and I think that had not been for injuries early on in his career, is Michigan linebacker Mike McCray. I think Mike McCray is, because he's kind of one of those do-it-all guys. You know, he, he the injuries kind of sapped some of his athleticism, but he's still uh, that smart linebacker, always in the right place, very good tackler. He has some zone coverage ability. Like, yeah, when you, when you watch players like that, I think that those are the guys who go later in the draft that – kind of surprise, surprise teams and end up making an impact early on. What yeah, I mean, you, you look no. at him and you wonder, can that guy be the Jordan Hicks of this, of this group? Exactly. You know? <laughs> What's interesting to me is, you know, you talk about some of these linebackers. It, it, it's almost like the praise that they get. It's one of these things where the, the, the position value is aligned with where these guys get drafted. That's not the case with some other positions, right, where – you're, you're talking about positions that get a ton of money, like a wide receiver, a ton of money, and this class just doesn't line up. These linebacker classes seem to line up with the market value, which is a great thing for the Rams because of where they're picking. We obviously don't have much in the first two days of the draft. We're going to have to wait till 87, barring another trade from Les Snead, which you can never rule out. But as soon <laughs> as you get to day three, we got 111, 135, 136, all in the fourth round, and then those four six-round picks. Uh, obviously the roster needs a, you got to start with linebacker. The other one's going to be offensive line depth. Um, you know, Andrew Whitworth is 
uh, one of the older players in the NFL. John Sullivan himself is not a young guy, neither is Roger Saffold. Uh, and you got the right side of the line, Havenstein and Brown on expiring contracts. What I'm interested in is how they go about building some depth for the future. What are some offensive line candidates beyond those, you know, first-round type guys, the McGlinchies and the uh, Isaiah Wins of the world uh, on the offensive line that you think uh, could play a part in the NFL a couple of years down the line and not just be fringe guys for a year or two, Dan? Yeah, the, the tackle group this year is real interesting because I have a hard time slotting exactly where the guys go after the first round. And right. specifically, I'm talking about players like Terrell Crosby of Oregon, who's a good sure. player. Yeah. Uh, Okorafor from Western Michigan, who's a good player. Jamarco Jones of Ohio State, who is you know, pretty experienced. I think he's pretty NFL-ready. Um, Garen Christian from Louisville, who is just a crazy athlete. So you have those guys, right? And maybe not, maybe not Crosby in that group, but I do wonder if he'll be there at 87, to be quite mm-hmm. honest with you. And then after that, you you got the guys like, you know, if you want to talk about a guy that maybe not this year or the next year, but the year after that, I like Brett Toth of, of Army quite a bit. I think he really helped himself in senior ball. You got Desmond Harrison at West Georgia, who is a really good athlete who kind of maybe just needs to go eat dinner with Andrew Whitworth every single night to get big. Um, but he's really talented, just super raw. So it, it, it's interesting if they don't go there in the third round, which at this point I kind of I kind of think they might. Sure. Um, if they don't, there there are some of these guys who you're not going to put in in 2018, but. 19 or 20, yeah, maybe. What do you think about Orlando Brown? Look, I like Orlando Brown, and I've always been a person who probably puts a lot more uh, value into what I watch during games than the in the last four months or so. So with that said, I, I like him. I think he's the best tackle in this draft, and part of me saying that is that He's just so damn big. Like, right. the, the, the amount of time it takes uh, edge guys to get around him, period, alone, is that, that gives him value to me. Sure. Um, I don't think he'll be the first tackle taken, though. And I, I do, like, I, I do look at mock drafts, to be honest, and I, I've kind of seen him dropping into the third round in some of them, and I, I don't completely understand that. Um, so I, I, but I certainly don't think he'll be the first tackle picked. So I, I think maybe he'll be in that the second round-ish range or the first because there's a lot of teams in the back of the first round that need tackles. So I, I like him. What do you think? I love his tape. I mean, he was a great player at Oklahoma. He was a captain this last yeah. year on a really, really good team. Um, you know, it's one of those things where recency bias is hard to shake off, man. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, the – the, that conventional wisdom that obviously the combine contributed to is just hard to get rid of. But in terms of the tape, he's better than what I've seen in most mock drafts. What do you think, Michael? No, I agree with you 100%. You actually hit the nail right on the head as far as what I would say. Like, and you know how I am. I'm I trust my eyes more than I trust anyone else. <laughs> you know, so yep. when I when I watch him in Oklahoma, I I see a guy that's legit. You know, like you see the potential to be a really really good uh, left tackle. In the NFL, not that I don't, not that I think it's much of a difference anymore between left tackle and right tackle these days. It's 
pretty much need the same thing on both sides. But you see that you see that potential uh, to be really, 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 really good. Of course, you do mention the the combine, and for me, I'm not I'm, I'm not as as bothered by the combine. You know, I'll give you a perfect example of a guy, a tackle that from the combine years about five or six years ago now, when he came and everybody was like, whoa, what the hell is that? And that's Andre Smith. You know, he was this he was this guy that was getting a lot of love at Alabama. And they were talking about him being a top ten pick and all this stuff and how great he'd be. And then they seen him without his shirt. And then it was like, wait a minute, is he taking football serious? The same questions they're asking with uh, Orlando or with Orlando, they're asking they ask with uh, Andre Smith. And I look at it, I say, you know, some guys just don't look good with their shirt off. <laughs> you know, some guys just don't – they're not going to run well and things like that. But how well does he do his job? You know, I'm big on if you can play, you can play. And I look at him, and I look at him at Oklahoma, and he he, he, handles, he handles business. He, he's legit. Shout out to male model Rob Havenstein. Dan, um, before <laughs> we let you go, question. Uh, when we look back at this draft in three years to do a three-year grade back – what are we going to be saying? Obviously, the first evaluation is going to be on the quarterbacks, which guys panned out, and obviously, which guys didn't. Um, what, what else do you think we'll be saying? Will we be talking about a wide receiver class that was undervalued? Will we be talking about how it was a day two heavy draft? What do you think we'll be saying about this draft and the state of what it means for football? Well, covering a few things we talked about, I think we'll be saying, why was Josh Allen picked so high? <laughs> why was Anthony Miller picked so low? Yeah. Um, I think you might talk about Roquan Smith as the definition of the modern NFL linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you. I think you might be talking about several years from now. Um, what would have happened if Nick Nelson didn't tear his knee up during a pro day? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which which is a whole topic for another day. But um, and I, I think you might be asking. Why did Jesse Bates of Wake Forest go in the second round when he is a ball hawking, crazy coverage safety that that plays like a first round player? So those are a few predictions, I guess. Well, let me get let me throw this one out for you. Who's the who's the number one overall pick of the 2019 NFL draft? Oh my oh. God! Don't do that to oh. me. I haven't even started. <laughs> um, I'll, oh. I'll say. Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from He's Houston. Beast, man! I would say, oh my god! Yeah. I, ever since, I mean, obviously he was recruited super high. He is Aaron Donald 2.0. He's got the same. Right? He's freakish, man. He's unstoppable. Yeah. Have you watched uh, any Houston football, Myson? I have, and I agree with you. He is a freaking monster. But I'm glad. But I'm so glad you said that name because there's a player in this draft that is uh, uh, another Aaron Donald esque player, and I love Ooh. him. He's one of the he's one of the guys that I'm gonna have on my uh, kind of under the radar scouting report that I, I put out every year. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out next week. I know where you're going. <laughs> you're going with uh, uh, Nathan Shepard of Fort Hayes State. I love Nathan Shepard, but no, I'm not. <laughs> I do love Nathan Shepard, but Nathan Shepard, I think, is actually receiving kind of more hype than what uh, I expected him to. This guy's getting no talk, no love whatsoever. And that's PJ Hall. I love PJ Hall. PJ Hall is he can he's he's just a really good defensive lineman. <laughs> you know he absolutely you you look up PJ Hall, you watch some tape on PJ Hall, and you never would expect him to be as productive, especially in the sack category as he is. I mean he absolutely destroyed the competition, and to be his size, you can literally play him all along the line. It's, he's an impressive guy, and I don't think he's going to go before the fourth or fifth round, but. 
he is one guy that I'm really keeping my eye on. Uh, he's one of my favorite players. Nathan Shepard is another one. Like he, he's also going to be on that underrated report. There's like ten guys I usually put on there, but Nathan Shepard, one of them. But PJ Hall is a freak. <laughs> yeah, he's good. It, 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 as long as he doesn't have any off-field stuff, still. Yeah, I, you're right about him. He's he's really talented. And hey, the Browns brought him in for a uh, for pre-draft. How about that? Look at that, Go Browns. <laughs> Hey, I, I know you're a Browns man. I wouldn't make jo- the no. jokes for the Browns aren't going to last much longer. No, I, you know what? I think, the, I think the Browns are about to have a really good year. I truly do. You look at what they put together. You can say whatever you want about uh, the past Browns, but this is a completely different regime. Like it's 100 percent different. It's not the same regime. You know, it's hard to it's hard to take stuff from the past and they say, oh, look at their history when this is this isn't the same uh, group of men making decisions as it was, you know, four or five years ago. You know, John Dorsey comes from success and you say what you want about Todd Haley and his attitude and how way players like him, he produces. <laughs> Todd Haley produces like the, what they put together in a staff. And as we all say all the time, it starts from the top. And when you look at what they've done from the top down, they have put together what you need to win. And then the moves they've made as far as accumulating talent, I think the Browns I think the Browns are gonna surprise some people. The year. roster's about to look uh, real good. Here's here's the question the and then I'll throw it to you, Dan. Yeah, here's the question for you, Dan. Is Hugh Jackson the coach of this team in two thousand nineteen? No, I, I don't think so. And then yeah. then it comes because that then it becomes the classic Browns thing where People say, "Oh, the roster look, looking good. It's about to get turn. They're about to turn it over." Yeah. And a new coach comes in, and they they wipe it out. They switch schemes on defense and the, the whole thing. They they let Mitchell Schwartz sign with the Chiefs, and they let Alex Mack go to the Falcons. And all of a sudden, that great roster looks like crap. So, um, I look. Hugh has to probably win eight games, and if Hugh continues coaching his quarterbacks like he did to Deshaun Kaiser last year. Sure. He's not going to win anywhere close to eight games. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's long for Cleveland. I, de- I, I definitely say this. If that's the case and he is gone this year and you guys bring in a new head coach who's looking to turn over some of that roster, I think you might get some calls from Les Snead coming to <laughs> ship off 2019-2020 draft picks for a couple guys because there's a bunch of them that we could use over here. Dan, Thanks for the time, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Dan Kadar, everybody. Mocking the Draft, at Mocking the Draft. If you don't follow him, you must. He's the best. Best in the game. Dan's great, dude. I I love having Dan on. I've known him for years. He's – and it's not just that he's knowledgeable. He's like you. It doesn't come from reading stuff on the internet. It comes from watching football, and it doesn't mean that he's going to – sometimes he likes Orlando Brown more than 90% of people. Sometimes he's got random dudes out of nowhere that, that tackle Hoth out of the Army. I remember North Texas played Army a bunch the last couple of years. I don't like him as an NFL guy, but here's the thing. When, when Kadar says he's coming from a place of sincerity, having watched him and evaluate him, and that's why I love hearing from Dan. You know, it, uh, first off, I just be compared to Dan. Oh wow! Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Dan, Dan's the man. <laughs> but no, but no, no. I, that's I think that's the way that you have to do it. You know, you have to. It can't be from what you read. You have to first off. You have to actually enjoy 
watching film <laughs> like it because you, you you watch a lot of film to find out some of these things like I found out about um TJ Hall last year and I couldn't stop watching him you know he's one like every year I found somebody under a rock that I kind of fall in love with I, that's why I, I think that's why I like those my underrated scouting reports so much is because um, it's like you're giving the guys who aren't getting the shine some shine, uh, and I like that. Like I, if you remember a few years ago, Carson Wentz was on my, uh, one of the guys that I was talking about, and then out of nowhere he blew up, and I, <laughs> I was happy, and I was still stuck on him, still a fan of his. But you you see the the guys who coming into the season you don't expect to have the shine that they have, and and you don't really get that without watching the film. You know you got to be you got to enjoy. Letting your eyes burn from staring at a, staring at a screen for hours, <laughs> it's a weird it's a weird pleasure, but you enjoy it. You know, so I, I definitely agree with you. It, it's not something that you get from reading. It's not something you get from the grapevine. You got to actually get in there and dig in. <laughs> it, what it's I think is that you're coming to. One guy I wish I thought about to bring up. It's one of the more interesting parts of the draft. Is one of the guys that I think. It's, it's not only that he's the best at his position, and this is always one of those things where the position doesn't line up. You know, it's why we don't ever talk about tight ends, number one overall, or middle linebackers. This position obviously just doesn't carry the value, but it is incredibly important. I still think the market undervalues it is punter, and I think we've got one of the best punters we've seen in a long Absolutely. time in Michael Dixon out of Texas. He's a phenomenal. I knew where you were going There's almost never punters or kickers that I feel like you should even draft because the drop-off from a guy like Dixon to every – or like Hecker and Dixon, that class of punter, to everybody else, I don't see why you'd ever draft any of the other guys. This is a guy I think that should get drafted. Question is where – and it's tough because – if he's, it's almost like fantasy football when, when you talk about like uh, the, the non-premium positions. If they're that good, like when Gronk is a you know first-round tight end kind of thing, if he's that good, you might need to go early because the drop-off afterwards, there's just nothing there. I wonder where he's going to get drafted. But I also don't. I'm, I'm also glad the Rams aren't in a position to have to even consider it. <laughs> right. That's this is true. And, and and you oftentimes you you have those guys where you, you ask that question and then you you think that they're gonna go early and then they don't, or sometimes you think they're not gonna go early and they shock the hell out of everyone. I know I remember last year, um the I, I thought that uh Corey Davis would be a top ten pick. And sure. then we had Dan we had Dan Hartman on and we talked about it and Dan Hartman was convinced that he was a, a <laughs> bottom 25 talent, <laughs> you know, right. uh, a guy that would go in like 25, 26, 30 range. Um, and then he goes in the top five. So it was like talking to Dan. I started like, well, I don't know. Dan made some pretty good points. So I, I think, still think he should go in the top 10. Ultimately he went number five to the Titans, but you know, it, you always have those guys who kind of are all over the place. It's very hard to pinpoint, <laughs> you know, uh, to pinpoint a range. You're never going to pinpoint the pick, but pinpoint a range. You, you don't have too many guys that come out each year where you can do that. So it, it, it can be it can be hard. <laughs> that's, that's probably the, the easiest way to put it. It can be hard <laughs> to uh, figure out. But here's a question for you, okay? What is a guy, who is a guy that you want, not think, but want to see fall in the draft? Ooh, that's a good one because there's so many, right? Um, I mean, you, you got to think of – I'm assuming that question only oh, oh, really? pertains to oh, a third-round oh, oh, really? pick. 
a realistic fall. <laughs> sure. Well, I think yeah. most of them are realistic once you get past the top, what, eight, top 12? Because once you get past those obvious guys, the Saquons, you know, the Minka Fitzpatricks, the Roquan Smiths, yeah. the, the, we always see guys that fall that we thought were first-round picks, right? If, you, if you're talking about to 87. So I don't think yeah. there's any once – you, once you get to the 16th player on any board, you know, whether you're looking at ESPN or CBS or NFL Draft Scout – once you get past 16, I could see any of those guys dropping for whatever reason. Um, man, I don't know. I, I guess that there's two things I would say in terms of who I'd like to fall. Number one would be edge talent because I do think there's definitely an opportunity to get a third-round starter at the edge for the right guy on Absolutely. this team. I don't know how many other positions we have room for starters. Maybe maybe inside linebacker. Um but it's it's one of those things where you don't know how they feel about the depth, and obviously they signed Malik. You got Mark Barron. You're gonna use, if, if you're gonna use a ton of you know defensive back uh, formations where you're gonna have only six in the box. You don't need anybody else besides Mark Barron, maybe. Uh, and so I just wonder how much you know rotational work you could get from. Uh, you know, depth guys, six round guys to just come in and pick up a couple snaps, kind of what Corey Littleton did. And maybe he's the, maybe he's the guy this year too. Um, so I look at the edge where I think you could get a lot of snaps out of a guy, whether it's gosh, Arden key, Rasheem green. Um, who else would be a good candidate there off the edge for falling down? Nuosu, although I don't know that that would be too much of a fall for him. Like Josh sweat, like the 87 seems like that's not even a fall, right? Um, right. May, maybe. Here's one. Throw it at me. No, I was gonna say Ogunaya Okonowo. Sure. Uh, sure. That's one guy that I think has the potential to fall to the third. Will he? I don't know. He's. I think he's underrated in the public side. I don't think he's underrated in the uh, the NFL scouting circle, not the media scouting circle. They're sure. completely different. It took me years to learn that, but. The NFL yep. scouting circle and the media scouting circle, two completely different eyes. <laughs> so, the, the other one, in all those circles, but not the NFL. The other one that might be interesting, and this is where being in a position like the Rams are in terms of their current roster, you get the luxury of being able to make these picks, is a guy whose injury history just really pushes him down board and maybe failed a medical check at the combine, which is the kind of thing we don't know about. So maybe you get, and obviously this is hard to see right now based on tape and based off of everything we know today, is somebody like Connor Williams, right, or Colton Miller. Yeah where if those guys fall to 87 and you get a chance to get talent-wise, tape-wise, one of the best tackles in the game that you don't have to worry about, you know, dealing with an Andrew Whitworth successor in the future or somebody that needs a ton of coaching or somebody that doesn't have a great resume to support it, like some of those guys who we know are going to be there, that would make things really tough. Absolutely. And I, I definitely think that when you start talking about tackles, for example, we, we were talking about Orlando Brown, guys like that. When you talk about the possibility of flipping for whatever reason, whether it's injury, sure. uh, combine scares when you watch the workout, whatever it may be that causes them to slip. When you talk about tackle flipping, I think it would be very, very, very hard for the Rams to pass up on a tackle who's even a second-round talent. <laughs> you know, if he's, if he's there, I think it would be really hard for them to pass that up. Uh, also, I still think that even with all the moves that's been made, I think that this one has kind of been overlooked. But cornerback, I don't think that they're done with cornerbacks because you talk about you talk about the O line being aged. 
well, how old is Aki Tlaib? You know, so I'm pretty sure they want to start planning for his departure. You know, and how many years is left on that contract again? You know, so you 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 got to take all those things into consideration. So I definitely think that when you look at when you talk about the edge rusher, obviously, but outside of that, when you're talking right. about guys that may slip, that you could say, hey, you know what, edge rusher might be a bigger need right now, but this guy. He carries more value, and he may not be a position need right now, but what he could do for us in the future, big time. So when you talk about corner, you talk about tackle. If some of those guys slip, and I think corner is a strong possibility of having some really good guys there because they're so deep. Um, It's going to be interesting to see which way they go. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion is my point of where the Rams go. I think everyone is expecting them to go edge rusher, edge rusher, edge rusher. I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, especially with the depth of some other positions that could really help the Rams next year or two years from now. And not only that, but we've seen being in this position, the value of being able to approach a best player available strategy. That's exactly what the Rams are in now. When we, th- when we talked about some of the earlier picks, when we had number 23, obviously you're not going to take a quarterback. You're not going to take a running back. You can't do those things there. Right. At, at 87? If if the best guy on your board, I don't give a damn what you can take a quarterback. You could totally justify taking a quarterback at eighty seven when Sean Mannion is your backup. We just saw what happened to two teams in the Minnesota Vikings and Philadelphia Eagles who had legitimate playoff and Super Bowl aspirations. One of them made good on it. Who both lost their quarterbacks. They both still made the NFC Championships, but because it's it's because they had a capable backup in place. If the Rams lose Jerry Goff, is anybody going to feel good about Sean Mannion taking this team through the playoffs? <laughs> I would. But as, no, yeah, of course you would. Just because I said it. But I, I, my my point just being that that one, because we're so stacked across the starting lineups outside of edge rusher, you can pretty much justify anything. My, uh, Mel Kiper, did you see his mock today? I did not. That is taking Virginia defensive end Andrew Brown, and I think that's the calculation is that you you can justify just about anything, even a defensive lineman. When you got a defensive line made up of Aaron Donald, Indomitian Sue, and Michael Brockers, if Indomitian Sue is as good as gone this offseason, you would have a successor in Andrew Brown to be able to groom over the course of a year, learn from the best. You can justify just about anything once you get to 87. I think that's one of the great things, being in the position that we're in. I do. I agree with that 100%. I think the Rams are in better position than people think. Um, I know that I've heard a couple people talk about, oh, you know, we haven't had premium picks in so long. You know, we haven't had first-round picks, second-round picks, so on and so forth. But, you know, you look at what the Rams have been able to do, and they really haven't been needed because of what they have in place already, especially with trades that's been made. Right now the focus needs to be on – Building depth, and when you focus on building depth, as you just said, how you can take a quarterback, when you focus on building depth, that kind of opens the doors for you to go in any direction, which I think that uh, is kind of where the Rams are right now. However, however, cannot stress this enough, do not get comfortable. This is a this is a less speed we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It is a very slim chance the Rams sit still, you know, so let's not get comfortable here. Even if yeah. they just move to the top of the third, they don't have to move to the second round. Like sure. you said, they can just be moving up to the top of the third for a guy that was in the second round that fell to the third, you know? So well, let's just see <laughs> when it comes to yeah. that. But, but yeah, the Rams can really go in any direction. What do you got? I read that, I read that draft order earlier. I think the chances that we end up picking at all those positions has got to be less than 10%. I just don't see how less need is going 10%. to get through a draft. Less than 10%. Yeah, is that less too high? 
That's way too high. I'm giving it like point <laughs> one three two one. <laughs> I just don't. I don't see Les Snead getting through a draft where he gets that long to wait and that much time to talk to other front office, uh, you know, general managers and staff, and not do anything. The other thing to think about, though, it, it's not that we don't have premium draft picks. We just don't have them in the draft. We got them on the roster, right? We got Brandon Cook. Yeah. That's a first round pick. We got Marcus Peters. Yeah. That's a that's a premium draft pick. That's that. Those are your premium draft. It's, we may not have them in the draft, but it's because we exchanged them for players on the roster. Which is going to be my last question for you before we get out of here. Last question of the night for you: What was the Rams' best acquisition made? Do just go. Don't give me this as a hard one or do one of your political correct BS. Sure. You know how you DC people are. You like to go all political. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do both sides of the, the rest. My, my favorite, simply because I'm down to go all in 2018 and make a run at this, is Ndamukong and Sue. We got one of the best damn players in the NFL with as much proven with – for all the talk about people who say he's like dirty and those kind of – you know, the, the, the famous plays that people around the NFL remember him for. You know who's never complained about Ndamukong and Sue? His teammates, his teammates, coaches. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no, nobody. Knew where you ever, that. <laughs> ain't nobody ever said anybody. Now we can say we can say, oh, he kicked this guy, and really, I don't mind a little edge. I don't mind. Hey, you, if we if that you got to fight, that, remember that when we had Cortland Simpson? People, <laughs> hey, people ain't got as long as you winning. Ain't nobody got no problem with that. So I don't have a problem with that. The other side of the coin, though, might be value. If because Ndamukong Sue's only here for a year. And in that case, the, I, I, this is one I'd throw to you, and you, give me your answer on who you think is the best. But if you're looking for long-term value that's going to make the team better, deciding between Brandon Cooks and Marcus Peters, if, if we can hold on to them for a couple of years, man, those are, I, I guarantee you the, the picks that people are going to make in the first and second round that we gave up some of those picks to get guys like that, there's going to be a lot of teams that wish they had Brandon Cooks and Marcus Peters instead. If you're talking about you, and it's hard to not say Brandon Cooks because of his age, you know, to be in the NFL for four years and you're only 24, (laughs) you know, but, but I would have to go Marcus Peters because when you're talking about value, I look at it and I say, who's just a better overall player. And it's definitely Marcus Peters. And he's still on a rookie, rookie contract. You could theoretically keep him under contract for the two more years after this year for, Twenty two million dollars if you add in well, well, plus whatever the whatever the, fran- whatever the franchise tag may be. So you're talking, yeah. you know, so exactly. So value wise, I have to say uh, that it's Marcus Peters. He's just such a he's such an impact player, and he, he's not just an impact player, but he's overall one of the best players in the league. You, you know, you're talking about a top thirty top thirty player in the NFL. I, I don't. I can't look at Brandon Cooks and say he's a top thirty player. I can't look at Brandon Cooks and say he's a top fifty, sixty player. You know, I can look at Marcus Peters and say that. You know, so the the about other it. way to put it would be I like this: when, when you talk Peters, you can make an argument that he's the best cornerback in the NFL. You can't make an argument that Brandon Cooks is the best wide receiver in the NFL. You can't make an argument that Brandon Cooks is top five. <laughs> you know, so. I definitely, I would definitely say value-wise, uh, just as far as acquisitions, acquisitions for this offseason, is is Marcus Peters. But overall, I would say that it's a key to lead because the key to lead is Adamic and Suba more mature, 
let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, the key to league, I think that he gets this rep because of his beef with Michael Crabtree and all this stuff. But the key to league is actually one of those pros, pros, the way he goes about his business and all of that. All he's ever gotten is praise as far as being a professional. And he's gotten praise from, let's, let's think about this. Bill Belichick did nothing but praise him. He, how often does Belichick praise people? He can't, you can't even get Belichick to praise Gronk, <laughs> you know. So uh, that, that should tell you all you need to know right there. And Wade Phillips and everyone has always just given him so much love about how he carries himself you know, around the facility, on the field, things like that. It's when he gets in between the lines, he's, he, he, he plays old school football. You know, he plays physical. He play, he's in your face. He's talking trash. So I think, they, I think, the, I think the, uh, the, the media has become so soft. You can't talk trash anymore or else you're a bad guy. <laughs> no. Akeem Tlaib is, in my, in my opinion, one of the better uh, acquisitions that could have been made in general just because of the need aspect, but then also what he brings to the defense as a whole. Everyone keeps saying, oh, who's the leader? Who's the leader? Ask some of Akeem Tlaib's old teammates what kind of leader he was. I think you'll get your answer right there. <laughs> you, got, you got anything else before we get out of here, Joe? No, I think the good thing is that we've got so many guys now that you can validate their – you know, veteran presence in the locker room, whether it's Tlaib, Whitworth. Um, we'll have to see. Obviously, we might have a couple more moves before we even get to training camp. But you've got guys Absolutely. that have Roger Saffold, John Sullivan, guys that have been in the league for a long time that can hold that kind of respect that a lot of times you need Absolutely. most at the end of the season and going into the playoffs. And then you've got this young core of Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, and Jared Goff that's, you know, Trying to get, trying to get it done when we need it most in January. One thing, and and maybe beyond. One thing I would say, Todd Gurley has definitely stepped up to be more of a vocal leader, and I love it. So it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But that's all we got for this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, you got to make sure you follow the site at Tertio Times. Thank you again to Dan Kadar for coming on. Make sure you uh, make sure you're following myself at Mighty or Mighton as well as Joe3K underscore. That's all we got. We out. And clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood handsome, Dodge City tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zeta. Nobody dresses sweeter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc, and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right.
a brain. Stopping me is like stopping a train. I'm Carl Lee, the general of the D. I make the calls, I'm the coaching LB. This motorcycle, this has got style and class. If you come my way, I'll knock you on your ass. Such a your name's intimidated. I pass it my way, I'll see you later. Quick on my teeth, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The Iceman coming, the Royal's the name. I cover the corner, intercepting my game. Score more than anybody else on the D, cause I move like a cat as you will see. The guys call me tickets to the Dixie Sun. I lead the reins, I'm the Ram top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be, even sweeter than the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun when it comes to ladies, wanna bring anyone. But enough about me, we hit a ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. Everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor in chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.